0: This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dajani. Jamal, we have a great show today. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of things. We're going to be talking about uh, Palestine in the World Cup. Um, I'm saying that with a smile on my face because Morocco has made it to the semifinals. But Morocco is essentially Team Palestine and despite all the uproar from uh Israeli journalists it is interesting however and we're going to talk about this how they're identifying Morocco as an african team because of its you know because of its uh setting that it's in the uh group that it's in rather but actually it's an arab country and we'll we'll talk a little bit about this my my favorite topic to talk about today is going to be your friend Jared Kushner who's under investigation Jared Kushner, and this is why it's so funny to hear people going crazy about Hunter Biden. Jared Kushner took $2 billion from the UAE, a billion and a half dollars from the Saudis, while he was, you know, a senior advisor to Donald Trump, the former president in the White House, and he's under investigation as he should be. But before we get to that, Jamal, we're going to watch a really great interview you did about uh, medical apartheid in the apartheid state, the Israeli apartheid state. Guy Shelev, who is the medical anthropologist and executive director for Physicians for Human Rights in Israel, is going to be discussing medical apartheid, systemic racism within Israelis' healthcare system. It's a great interview.
1: Yeah, let's uh, watch the interview, and then later on we'll, we'll discuss it. Uh, this is uh, Guy Shalev. One-fifth of physicians and nurses in Israel are Palestinian, yet there is long-standing discrimination and racism in Israel's medical system towards Palestinians on both professional and patient levels. A recent casing point on no- November 28th, Dr. Ahmed Mahajna, a dedicated and valued cardiothoracic resident at Hadassah Hospital, was the victim of a nationalist and populist witch hunt when hospital staff decided to give leftover celebration sweets to patients, and Dr. Mahajna shared some of some of this with a 16-year-old Palestinian patient being treated for gunshot wounds from Israeli police. The hospital. Summarily dismissed Dr. Mahajna and issued a press release calling him a terrorist sympathizer. Two days ago, all allegations against him were withdrawn. However, Hadassah has yet to apologize for this force and retract its plans to fire him. Joining us on Arab Talk this week is Dr. Guy Shalev. He's a medical anthropologist and the executive director of Physicians for Human Rights Israel. He has written articles about the various ways that Palestinian physicians and healthcare workers as well as civilians suffer from systematic racism within Israel's healthcare system. Guy Shalev, welcome to Arab Talk. Thank you for having me. First of all, I'd like to thank physicians for human rights for the work it does fighting medical inequities and uh, to change policies that enable them. Uh, let's, let's start with the with the case of involving dr mahajna just just tell us what exactly happened
2: um so our involvement in the case started when we got a phone call from ahmed from dr mahajna uh, saying that uh, he was he's about to be fired from Hadassah hospital where like you said he's long time dedicated resident appreciated by his colleagues by by patients on some accusations that he had no way of even understanding where they come from. Apparently, some right-wing organization filed a complaint against him, uh, and that that turned uh, into the media and began the witch hunt that very quickly got into a hearing in the hospital and what seems to be uh, his approaching layoff. We were just notified today that the hospital is willing to some sort of negotiations uh, with uh, uh, Mahajna and uh, his lawyer. So maybe we we still hope that maybe uh, he could still uh, hold his uh, position at the hospital. But of course, the damage has been done. Uh, The damage personally to uh, Dr. Mahajna for his uh, reputation, for uh, his very, uh, I guess, very bad feelings about the place he he works for, the place where he put so much of his efforts uh, in uh, taking care of patients in this hospital and being attacked by his own uh, employers, by his own own institution. And of course, there's another damage, a more collective damage. Uh, All other Palestinian medical personnel in the hospital, and maybe in other hospitals as well, they see what happens happens to someone when the hospital decides to attack him. They see that they're always in the eye of, of, of management as Palestinians, uh, who can never feel uh, uh, like entirely at home in these uh, Israeli spaces? And wasn't wasn't the settler
1: g- group uh, just uh, Betzalmo instrumental uh, instrumental in pressuring Hadassah? Is that is that the group when you you, you said a right wing group?
2: Right, uh, I'm not even sure a group is it's it's the right definition. It's it's most likely one person's organization uh, who is. Uh, Basically, a brown-shirt organization that's, uh, that that uh, is in the service of the of the the, the regime in persecuting leftist organizations, leftist activists, uh, and Palestinians, uh, of course, uh, in particular. Even that, I I cannot even call it an organization. Even that uh, person that leads this organization retracted later uh, their complaint, saying that they didn't have all the information needed. And now they, after considering the case again, they don't see any violation that Dr. Mahajne has done. So even this right wing radical uh, who is attacking uh, uh, Palestinians and leftists in Israel already uh, retracted the accusations, but the hospital is still not uh, apologizing uh, and making amends with their own employee, uh, which is uh, very troublesome.
1: Yet, uh, yet uh, let's talk about also uh, that there was, uh, from what I read, immense support for Dr. Mahajna, right? Right. I mean, is this yeah. helping the, from his colleagues uh, who are vouching for him? Uh, and it's, apparently, it's not swaying, uh, uh, but the hospital, I guess, administration, uh, they've already made up their mind.
2: Right so first I I still hope they may change their mind but it was really heartwarming to see the support Mahajna got from so many of uh, his colleagues uh, we have there's there was a letter published by senior physicians in diff- in very uh, in, in a lot of hospitals and in in the media on on social media you could see a lot of support many of our volunteers uh, volunteered to maybe try to get a job for him in a different hospital In their own department, maybe in 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 different hospital, so the support was uh, very, uh, uh, I guess, like I said, heartwarming. This is another thing that we should, I think, think about critically. Uh, How come we could hear all these supporters now, and we couldn't hear them in 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 different cases when Palestinians are attacked? And I think this is very important when we think about the medical sphere here in Israel uh, and how uh, there's this. Image of a place where Palestinians and Israelis work together, uh, side by side, and this uh, this this image is very precious to 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 a lot of Israelis, and to 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 Israeli Hasbara to uh, to show how I I have to say I just today got a got, got a publication from Hadassah in Karim the same hospital who is about to fire uh, Dr Mahajne this uh, poster. Uh, publicizing uh, a conference they have about uh, coexistence in medicine and how Arab and Jewish uh, Israelis uh, co- uh, operate together in
0: uh, uh, well, the same
2: operating rooms. So I they mean, still maintain their kind of hasbara uh, and this uh, facade of uh, coexistence while they are attacking one of their own.
1: Well, the irony in this is is deeper. I mean, as, as a as a doctor yourself, I mean, the, uh, you know, the I'm ethical, by the way not a medical doctor, uh, no, no, I mean, in the medical That's field, the but the ethical, uh, neutral environment, right? Like there is that, that code of neutrality. Let's talk about the presumed neutrality within Israel's medical system. You wrote about your encounter with this when seeking approval uh, for their ethics committee to do an ethnographic study of Palestinian physicians. Uh, Tell us about it.
2: Right, so uh, my PhD is about uh, Palestinian physicians in Israeli hospitals, and the topic that uh, was central to uh, the experience of Palestinians in in Israeli institutions uh, and their uh, ability to to, uh, integrate, in a way, into this system is uh, the ethos of Neutrality in the medical system. So on one side, this is a very positive uh, approach, especially in Israel, in Israeli society, which is society which is very racist towards uh, Palestinians. And I'm talking about Palestinian citizens of Israel, 1948 Palestinians. Uh, so it may be, it is in a way very positive, and it allows uh, "quote unquote" Palestinians to integrate into this system in numbers that are. Unpar- unparallel in any other uh, sector of uh, Israeli society. As you said, 20% of uh, physicians in, in Israeli the Israeli health system are Palestinians. 46% of new doctors in Israel are Palestinians. So the numbers are increasing. We will see more and more. Uh, the rates of Palestinians in this system uh, is getting uh, bigger. Um, and young Palestinians see this system as uh, relatively fair to other uh, sectors in Israeli society and a, a place where they can get uh, uh promoted get appreciated for their professional skills but this is this has also the, a flip side this idea of neutrality so uh and that is that in the name of neutrality politics is supposedly supposed to to stay outside the hospital or, or outside any medical spaces and when in my research i can i, I start to try to understand what does it mean when they say that politics is is taboo politics is is not part of uh, is it is not acceptable here uh, within the walls of the hospitals i realized that it's not really an ideal that is applied uh equally on all employees and all members of of the system and what is considered political and therefore unneutral and therefore uh, something that is uh, not in place is uh, any uh, criticism of of Zionism, any criticism of Jewish supremacy within the uh, the, the the state of Israel and basically uh, historic Palestine. So uh, Palestinians who want to uh, express their identity as Palestinians, citizens of Israel, but as part of the Palestinian people. Is already considered uh, a betrayal or bringing something political into the into the conversation that is not supposed to uh, that is not acceptable. So these ethics. What com- it does, uh, yeah,
0: these ethics just committees.
2: Silences.
1: Yeah, just just so. want to talk about these ethics uh, committees. Uh, are part of the umbrella of the Declaration of Helsinki, penned by the World Medical Association. Just explain to us why is this significant.
2: So uh, when I tried to uh, conduct my research in hospitals, I had to uh, apply for a Helsinki approval, which is an ethical approval to do the research in the hospital. And I, when I noticed that I apply again and again, I'm facing a censorship, basically, from these supposedly professional ethics committees that uh, try to manipulate and or change the way that I, I considered my research, that is supposedly too political for them to accept. So in a very explicit case, I was told, don't call them Palestinians, call them Arabs. If you just change the word Palestinian to Arab, no, uh, there'll be no problem and, and you'll get the approval. Wow. Um, so that was like the most explicit case of, of erasure of Palestinian identity within this context.
1: In other words, but the alleged yeah, this
2: is the, my experience as a researcher, which is nothing compared to Palestinians yeah. actually working in these spaces, actually being silenced and their identity uh, on a daily basis being uh, erased as uh, members of the this uh, system.
1: In other words, the alleged uh, depoliticized uh, moral discourses within the medical sphere are being commandeered by Israel's political machines. I mean, uh, I mean you know, this is the end of neutrality. I mean, when, when they start censoring what language you can use and, and what references. You describe how this presumed neutrality of physicians gives credence to their narrative. Tell us about your paper on Dr. Aziddin Abu Aish, a Palestinian physician uh, from the Gaza Strip and the widespread interest in his experience as a father and a doctor at moments of of his immense loss.
2: Right so uh, for those of you who, who don't know Dr. Zidane Abu is a Gazan uh, doctor who uh, whose daughters three daughters and niece were murdered by uh, a, an Israeli tank in uh, in the Gaza attack at 2009 yeah. and uh, what what was interesting to me in this case is that unlike so many other Palestinians that being were a, Sacrificed in Gaza, they were uh, murdered in Gaza in uh, one of the uh, one or the other of of the attacks. The uh, unfortunately routine attack on attacks on Gaza. This one voice of a Palestinian who suffered who suffered this very great loss, somehow uh, was heard in Jewish Israeli publics. So his story was on TV, was on newspapers, was on the radio. People actually wanted to hear it. That was, for me surprising, because we as a, as a person growing up in Jewish Israeli society, this is not something that the Jewish Israeli society is usually uh, acceptable of. Just hearing about Palestinian suffering is not something that is uh, getting a lot of attention. So for me, it was interesting to see why this specific case became uh, something that was possible in in, in uh, uh, public discourse in the Jewish Israeli society. And to my understanding, it, it's him being a doctor, and not only a doctor, a doctor from Gaza that worked in an Israeli hospital. So this person is, get, is uh, getting credibility, yet many other Palestinians witnessing and testifying about uh, horrible uh, acts of Israel are never heard. So because he's a doctor, so maybe we can trust him, because he's a doctor who treated Israelis in an Israeli hospital, Maybe we can give him more uh, credit and listen to his uh, story, his tra- tragic story. Unfortunately, 13 years has passed since this tragic event, and we haven't heard many other voices of Palestinian suffering in the Jewish-Israeli uh, public. So if you could imagine that, okay, one story somehow managed to go through the walls of indifference, then now there's, there'll be more attention to other stories then unfortunately that wasn't the case so this the remained kind of a single story uh that israelis are uh, willing to to hear and willing to accept as a tragic case of a palestinian
1: do, do you think the success and and i hate to use the word success in in such a tragedy the success of his story within israeli society had anything to do to, to further dehumanize Palestinians at all levels especially by targeting physicians uh, now and for hadassah to kind of take a very a, a tough approach because they don't want any sympathy uh, extracted towards Palestinian physicians
2: I didn't think about it this way and I'm not sure that this this is something that is uh, naturally connected in the in, in the kind of public imagination. I think that the, the the very deep racism that Jewish Israelis uh, have towards Palestinians, especially in Gaza, is it doesn't need the support of some uh, the, the specific out, uh, scapegoating of a specific doctor or another. It just I think that even it was a, an example of how in somehow somehow they could listen for a second, but then this uh, we lost even that kind of connection. I think. And yes, you're right. Since then, we, we know of doctors being attacked in Gaza and their stories uh, haven't passed the, the wall. So I, I don't have an explanation of of, of what really... Well, uh, any connection it, of
1: this to, it, to the current uh, political atmosphere with the rise of the uh, Kahanists now and the return of Benjamin Netanyahu and, and Ben Gvir, uh, do you feel uh, probably those who were maybe, I wouldn't use the word hesitant or shy to kind of show their racism, now they're outwardly saying, hell with it, you know, we're we're not going to accept uh, Palestinian physicians anymore in Israeli hospitals.
2: Right, so uh, one one of the major uh, politicians, for example, uh El Smutrich, who is probably going to be the Minister of uh, Treasury, has said it's, explicitly that he's not willing that a Palestinian uh, birth uh, uh, birth woman or a doctor touch his wife while she's giving birth so this is explicitly their uh, their uh, very deeply rooted uh, racist uh, perspectives and i think i i can tell you about another case that we just had uh, this week so we as a, as an ngo that cares for the uh, right to health one of our major activities is education in medical schools. So we try to get as much access as we can to speak to medical students about uh, different violations of the right to health and hopefully to have the the next generation of of, uh, doctors in Israel to be more attentive to uh, to the issues that we are addressing. And this generally goes without uh, major problems, but... uh, Two days ago, we had a lecture in Tel Aviv University, and that same organization, Betzelmo, filed a complaint against us and against the university. And he explicitly said in that complaint that now that there is a right-wing government, we will make sure that you will not be able to uh, to speak in uh, in public institutions or. Yeah, in, it's, uh, it's,
1: it, sound, it's, it sounds like that border, I guess, patrol officer in. Uh, in Hebron, who beat up the uh, demonstrators, uh, you know, and on camera saying that now we're we're getting Ben Gvir, you know, we'll show you what's going to happen next. So they're
2: they're basically emboldened. Right. They feel they have the support from the higher highest ranks. But I got to say, also, there's maybe the, the, the backlash, because I think that some of the support that Dr. Mahajna got is because liberals, Jewish, Israeli liberals, are worried about what we are facing with this new uh, right-wing government. And they felt like maybe this is another step that uh, we should now speak out or it would be even harder to speak out uh, later. Hmm. So I think this also maybe is an opportunity for uh, more left-wing Israelis to recognize that they should protest these uh, upcoming uh, 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 acts that this right wing government is about to do.
1: There are many uh, other fronts of uh, medical apartheid uh, physicians for human rights is fighting against. One cruel example is refusing long term permits to cancer patients or others with chronic illnesses in Gaza. What is the current regulation?
2: So first of all, there's a siege, as I guess all our viewers and listeners know. There's a siege on Gaza for more than 15 years, and the freedom of movement of Gazans is totally uh, not even uh, in existence. Uh, so, and in in to add to that, the health the healthcare system in Gaza is being attacked every few years and is being defunded and be developed by Israel uh, constantly. Uh, so a lot of the uh, medical treatments, the very urgent and needed medical treatments are not available in Gaza. Uh, so some of uh, the, for example, cancer patients, uh, chronic uh, and other chronic diseases, they need to go to uh, to move from Gaza to East Jerusalem. They're not seeking any medical care from Israel, but in another <laughs> Palestinian area, uh, uh, institution in the West Bank or East like, Jerusalem?
1: Like the Makassad Hospital in, in Jerusalem.
2: Makassad and Victoria, the, the, the Jerusalem hospitals who are relatively uh, better funded and more equipped. Uh, so they need a permit to leave Gaza and go to, to, to and, and get their treatment. But the, this treatment is a one time, uh, this permit is a one time permit. But if you're a cancer patient and you need to go every Couple of weeks to do chem- chemotherapy, for example. You need to apply again and again to get this permit. Sometimes these permits are delayed, and you miss your uh, treatment. Sometimes uh, you uh, you you're not even sure if you can schedule your next appointment if you, you'll get the the permit or not. In some cases, with kids, you cannot be sure that their parents or guardians get the permit. So sometimes even the kid has to go with a neighbor or an, an uncle. To get treatment, just imagining sending a mm. young uh, uh, cancer, young cancer patient to t- to do, to go to treatment alone without their parents is just uh, really so 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 hard even to 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 understand. So what we are arguing that we are arguing, of course, to lift the siege, uh, to to liberate uh, Gaza uh, and, uh, and and end the occupation, of course. But in the meantime, we ask that at least for these very uh, uh, in-need cancer patients, allow them long-term permits for three months, for four months, so they can at least plan ahead, go through their uh, treatment plan, and hopefully get better. Uh, Until now, we cannot even get this from the uh, Israeli uh, military.
1: What other uh, uh, critical medical injustices uh, physicians for human rights uh, uh, is concerned with? Uh,
2: so, uh, we have also a department that is uh, dedicated to prisoners and detainees and their health needs. W- one of the issues that we occasionally need to address is when there's a Palestinian prisoner, uh, and usually it's a, an administrative detainee who's on hunger, hunger strike and we try to uh, to support the hunger strike or try to to make sure that he gets uh, uh, admitted to a hospital, which is not easy because hospitals are not willing to admit hunger strikers in Israel. Uh, we try to to bring his voice out of of of, of his uh, of, of his hospital bed uh, again, and his protest against administrative detention. So this is part of our work with the uh, hunger strikers. We also work with uh, statusless people in Israel, which is uh, immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers, and we uh, advocate for uh, uh, medical health care for them and medical insurance that they can uh, get their routine uh, medical treatments and not end up in, in the ER when they're in very bad condition, which is currently the case. And of course, we also deal with inequalities within uh, Israeli society between the periphery and the center between, uh, for example, uh, the access to health care in the Negev, in the Nakab of uh, Bedouins in uh, unrecognized villages uh, or in uh, up, up north, where since the foundation of the state of Israel was not even one hospital founded in a uh, in, a, in a Palestinian uh, town or city, so you, you could see the discrimination in every aspect of uh, this system. So we are
1: trying. To... I mean, several human rights organizations, within the past uh, year or two, uh, you know, labeled Israel as a an apartheid state. Human Rights Watch, uh, Amnesty International, the United Nations, the Israeli Human Rights Organization Salem, and others. Uh, we hear now the, the term medical apartheid in in, 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 you know, how do you describe medical apartheid?
2: So I think when we think about apartheid and all these different organizations that uh, you mentioned and that are doing a very important work on analyzing and describing what is on the ground, uh, an apartheid system, I think that it is also important to break it down from the legal level to the to the level of routine life in palestine and this is our attempt to to see from our professional perspective on health to see how in the medical sphere in our when we are considering health healthcare and healthcare systems we can see uh, the apartheid system in action we can see different uh, regulations different uh, resources that are uh, uh, available to different populations according to a racist uh, uh, division, which is basically the the definition of apartheid. So this is something that we are still working on in terms of publishing a detailed report on how in every different aspect of Palestinian life they, uh, they face this medical apartheid. Hopefully we'll have uh, something published in the next year.
1: Guy Shalev, uh... Thank you for sharing your expertise uh, with us on Arab Talk.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: That's the voice and the face of uh, Dr. Guy Shalev, a medical anthropologist and the executive director for Physicians for Human Rights in Israel, discussing medical apartheid and systemic racism in the Israeli healthcare uh, um, system. You know, it's a really great interview. It's stuff that you and I have been talking about for years and years and years, Jamal. But to hear it from uh, an executive director of uh, Physicians for Human Rights, one of the global leaders in medical human rights in the world, in, their, in the Israeli chapter, really breaking down the reality of medical apartheid uh, within the Israeli uh, healthcare system was very, very deep. Especially, yes, I mean, uh,
1: most our listeners and viewers won't know that one fifth of physicians. And nurses in Israel are Palestinians, and 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 Palestinians, uh, of course, mostly from what we call 1948 Palestinians, Palestinians with Israeli citizenship. But nevertheless, many of them, many of the physicians who uh, have Jerusalem ID and don't right. have an Israeli passport, also serve in hospitals like Hadassah uh, in Ein Karim and and so forth. And so, when you have one fifth of uh, basically. The whole medical system just, and then you have discrimination against them by the same institutions that hire them. And uh, uh, the, the uh, guy Shalev talks about a, a recent incident just, which is uh, an eye opener. And this is the case uh, just happened on on November twenty eighth. I mean, we're not talking about a year uh, ago or so forth. Which is Doctor Ahmed Mahajna. Uh, a dedicated and valued uh, Palestinian cardiothoracic resident at uh, Hadassah Hospital. And he was the victim of a, a major hate, uh, you know, a nationalistic and uh, populist uh, witch hunt. Uh, right. And when the hospital just, imagine this, this guy's been <coughs> working there for, for years. Everybody loves him. He's great doctor. Great doctor. Great humanitarian. And then he, uh, basically, this is why the witch hunt happened. I mean, some people were like, because he treated a Palestinian patient uh, or Palestinian patient is just a 16 year old kid who was treated for gunshot, uh, wound, uh, wounds from Israeli police. Uh, and then, um, and then, and then the doctor basically checked on him and, and, uh, Uh, brought him, I think, some candy or something to make him feel better, whatever. And then letters, emails, phone calls, whatever the media started attacking first the hospital, Hadassah Hospital. And Telling them that he's a terrorist sympathizer just because he was kind to a sixteen-year-old
0: boy. Well, and his Hippocratic oath to take care of people and you know to do everything you can to take care of your patient. He was simply acting as a physician, acting as a doctor caring for his patient. But this goes to show you, Jamal, the level, the breadth, and the depth of the systemic racism not just against Palestinians, whether in 1948 or West Bank and Gaza who are discriminated and don't have access to the world-class healthcare system that they're entitled to. It's not just the patients, Jamal. It's the healthcare professionals. It's the nurses. It's the doctors. It's the it's the support personnel who are 1948ers or even West bankers who and with Jerusalem IDs who are working in this system, who are being totally discriminated against because of their identity as Palestinians. And I think this is an important story to tell our listeners who who tend to maybe not understand the breadth and the depth of the nature of the apartheid uh practice that gets that's infected the healthcare system. We tend to think about apartheid, Jamal when we think about political dynamics or other human rights, uh, you know, um, crimes that the apartheid state, you know, commits. And we tend to isolate the healthcare infrastructure. But the healthcare system, Jamal, is just as racist, just as biased, and just as much part of the apartheid system as every single aspect of Israeli civil society.
1: While you work in the medical field, Jess, I just have a quick question about this. And uh, isn't it supposed to be neutral?
0: Well, here's the thing, Jamal. It's it's when you have a sick or a dying patient in front of you, uh, their color, their politics, their racial or ethnic background doesn't matter. That's the way we train young doctors. That's the way that's our m- uh, medical, ethical and moral obligation is to treat all human beings who are suffering, who need health care equally and without bias. And um I can tell you from my work in Palestine, the work that I've done for decades, as well as this example from Guy Shalev, uh, you know, is the Israeli medical establishment is just as biased, just as racist, and just as much as part of the apartheid system as every single aspect of it. It's it's actually criminal in my mind, Jamal, the way uh the healthcare practitioners uh have join the club, if you will, of uh, apartheid. Now, the thing is, you know, all Israeli doctors, nurses, so this is no surprise, except for Palestinians who are 48ers, Jamal, have to be in the military. So, you know, they're practicing militarized apartheid prior to going into medical school or trying to be prior to becoming physicians so they're indoctrinated with that kind of hate and then each year up until their 60s you know they have the mandatory military experience which exposes them to a deeply ingrained kind of apartheid practice and and racism against palestinians so you know i mean i thought the interview was great but in some sense you know big surprise you know israel medical establishment is racist you know much, I'm just say, I just.
1: I should say that uh, not all Israeli doctors were but, I mean, uh, 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 there was a lot of uh, sympathy no, and support. Sure, but definitely, sure. definitely. I'm talking about the, the system. Admi- the administration, definitely yes. the administration, the hospital, uh, which was supposed to to protect one of their own, not just like succumb to pressure from no, some group. No, they threw hate, him under the bus. Group, and, yeah, exactly. They threw him on, on, under the bus, and that's... The sad reality. And of course, uh, uh Gishalev talked about, uh, um, Gaza, which is, of course, uh, that's another, uh, you know, subject that we've discussed many times where you have cancer patients denied, uh, treatment. And even when they re- requested treatment to travel to Jerusalem to basically a Palestinian run hospital like they're in, denied, in Makassar, they're denied. Or guess what? Just, and then I'm sure you know a lot more about this than me. Uh, you know, they had cases like for young children with uh, ca- uh, cancer cases. They'll be given one week. Can you treat a
0: cancer patient in one week? No, Jamal. And and here's the thing. We just recently, in the last few years, opened a world-class cancer treatment center for children in the West Bank in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. And they are chronically uh wanting of -of state-of-the-art medications chemotherapies to help children and their parents who are exposed to equipment and equipment and that equipment and those medications and those treatments are denied on a regular basis to Palestinians living in the West Bank. So you have the apartheid practice within 1948, and then you have the apartheid practice where because everything that comes in and out of the West Bank and Gaza has to go through Israeli control, the denial and the restriction of -of state-of-the-art treatments and medications that Israelis are are given on a regular basis but denied Palestinians. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO, San Francisco
1: 89.5 FM moving on to the world cup palestine I mean, team uh, well, team palestine well first of all i have to say about morocco okay and and what and, a great and, story and their man team. and just for our listeners i know soccer or which which is actually football the real football is not a uh, big sport in the united states i mean let's face it but for for the few who watch it this is a big deal it's it's monumental uh, morocco you know became the first arab and african team to qualify for the semifinals for for uh, fifa world cup uh, f- after it defeated uh, portugal, portugal. And, let, and and let 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 that sink in a, a little bit just okay how did they get there morocco small basically you know country in Northern Africa. Outdid Cameroon, outdid Senegal, outdid Ghana. Those are basically the leaders of, of, of the African continent, right. uh, which uh, qualified to prior, uh, you know, FIFA 1990, 2002 for Senegal and two thousand ten. But, and that this should sink in: they defeated both Spain and Portugal.
0: Along with Belgium, but Spain right.
1: and Portugal, those are like top teams in the world. In the world, right? In the they, world, they, they they defeated them to get to this point.
0: Well, so. Jamal, yeah, I mean it's a it's a heroic story. It's an amazing story. But again, because we're we're talking about the media narratives about this, isn't it interesting that they get identified as an African, the first African country? The African well, just,
1: team. Just, just a reminder for to everyone who doesn't know, but the Arab world spans between Asia and Africa, and we have Egypt, and we have Libya, and we have Tunisia, Algeria, and we have yeah. Algeria, and we have so, Morocco. So we have Sudan. Those are all Arab countries but, in Africa. But, Somalia but are, is an Arab country in Africa.
0: But 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 Jamal, so it's so insulting to hear them. Only referred to as the African first African team, but it's an Arab team. Moroccans identify as Arabs in addition to being from North Africa. So, the narrative, the media kind of insistence on calling this team an African team, leaving out, you know, a fundamentally important aspect of their identity when they're carrying the Palestinian flag after each win that they've had. In the World Cup. This is really the uh, the team, the spectators, everybody. Yeah, and mean, they want to, this is part of an attempt to minimize what's happening in the World Cup, Jamal, vis a vis Palestine. Morocco is Team Palestine. We know that. And we have all these sad stories about Israeli journalists who feel so kind of uh, upset um, and, su- and surprised that they're not being welcomed with open arms. And I'm tired of those stories, Jamal, we have, it was in the New York Times, it was in the Washington Post, it was in Reuters, it was in AP. Why not tell the real story about, you know, kind of this global nationalism uh, representing kind of Palestinian freedom and self-determination, global kind of sense that Morocco is really kind of uh, in this match, uh, for the dignity and freedom of Palestinians. I mean, in addition, obviously, to their own uh, feeling for you know their country in Morocco. But this is such a big story, Jamal. This is bigger than the F- World Cup. This is bigger than FIFA. This is bigger than Morocco. It's It's such a great story. And of course, it's being downplayed in the American media. Well, I mean, you have
1: three, I would say, Big stories. The first story, really, and and I don't want to take the achievement of the Moroccan team. It's amazing. It's amazing. The the Lions of the Atlas. That's their nickname, and that's that's to me amazing. Just just the the way they played the game. They're like all gifted, and 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 the and the coach, an amazing coach. Yes. The second story is that, and that's actually will lead us later on to our next story with this whole Abraham Accords uh, normalizations. It's a bunch of nonsense because it is nonsense. Because the second story, it it showed the Arab population, whether they lived in Northern Africa or Africa itself, or lived in the Asian uh, part of uh, the Arab world, they all basically reject normalisation refuse to speak to the reporters we've seen it time and time again and 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 support palestine and the third story is that the palestinian cause is not dead as they try to make it dead it is not forgotten and i've listened to so many interviews just from men women elderly young boys and girls they they just like know more than me probably about (laughs) Palestine they've never been in Palestine they were like so passionate about it and why they're doing it and of course the athletes uh, themselves who made sure uh, including gosh I forgot the name of uh, the player I I should be forgiven about that from Morocco who was injured he didn't play and he watched his team from his hotel room win and then he, he, he paused for his Instagram with a right. Palestinian flag, exactly,
0: exactly. a Moroccan exactly. flag and a
1: Palestinian flag, just to show you the support. And I think those are the three uh, major stories uh, that continue. Of course, by the time we broadcast, we don't know what's going to happen because Morocco is going to face France and that's going to be tough. Well, guess what? You have Benzema in France, who's of Algerian heritage. He's, right. He's, he's been injured, but uh, he might come back. Again, people forget why France got to this level. There are two best players, Benzema and Mbappe,
0: African, uh, Arabs and Africans.
1: No, no, uh, Well, uh, Algerian French, I have to say Algerian French. And Mbappe is, uh, I think uh, his, his mother is Algerian and his father is from, uh, I'm just saying maybe Nigeria or something like this. I have, to, I have to check on that. But anyway, Africa, you know, and then aside from the other players, I mean, that's the other thing that people should appreciate that the Middle East and Africa produce great players and they play on the top teams well, uh, in, absolutely. in Europe. And, and sadly, that's because even though uh, football is such a big sport in the Middle East, with the exception of rich countries, like Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, who are now trying to buy uh, Ronaldo's co- contract and bring him there, but uh, they don't get paid much, and that's why they want to play for France and they want to play. You know, the best one of the best players in 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 uh, in the UK is uh, Mo Salah, and, and he's from right. Egypt, from Egypt, and so forth. You know, because they they have to go there. They have to go there. This is where they write the big. Yeah, but this tells it you,
0: uh, right, exactly, Jamal. But uh, again, you know, thinking about how the Western, and I won't say Western media, but I will say specifically American media are portraying this in the New York Times and the Washington Post, AP Reuters, the way they're describing things uh, is kind of insulting, as usual, when it comes to understanding, you know, the feeling, the feeling, the experience, the loyalties, the passion. That soccer and the f- football fans have all over the world for the sport. And then specifically for the issue of Palestine with uh with a team from Morocco. This is a huge story, Jamal. And you you we're hearing more about the poor Israeli journalists who feel shunned than we are about like this amazing story about amazing Moroccan team that is pulling itself through to the semifinals of the World Cup. This is a great story. And, of course, we're hearing more about Israeli journalists than we are about Morocco.
1: Moving on to the next story, Jess.
0: Yes, th- which Democrats, is related.
1: Democrats want answers about Jared <laughs> Kushner's
0: what, very, what? very now shady
1: they w- Middle East deal. And we're not talking about the, just the Saudi one. No, it's the UAE
0: and the Saudi. I mean, this
1: is something involving a miraculous, by the way, financial bailout for his family by Qatar and his work, uh, you know, in the in the Middle East. So the Washington Post has a big expose. Uh, Vanity Fair now has another expose. Uh, Going all the way back, and we were talking about this all the way back to 2018 uh, and when there was an an economical miracle uh, for the ages. This is, I'm actually paraphrasing from the Vanity Fair article just 11 years after a 26-year-old Jared Kushner plunked down a record setting $1.8 billion on an aging midtown skyscraper on the eve of the financial crisis. Prices no less, right? And j- just six months before, the Krishna family would have to come up with 1.4 billion dollars it owed on the mortgage uh, for the aptly named 666 Fifth Avenue address, <laughs> right? And, right? And and so so they were in deep doo 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 doo. Deep doo doo. Yes. And and basically that this project was going to back bankrupt him. I I, I wanted to continue because uh, more about this, Jess.
0: Yeah, Jamal, I mean the, the the story here is that Jared Kushner used his influence while he was a paid senior aide in the White House to former President Trump. He was paid by the US government. And he used his influence and connection with the former president to leverage the personal benefit of himself as well as his company. Now, some people have described the 666 building in Manhattan, that deal, as the worst real estate deal in the history of New York real estate. Right. It was so terrible. And you're right. It would have bankrupt the Kushner family, but through the, his relationships From uh, his paid by U.S. taxpayer position in the White House, he amassed close to four billion dollars from Gulf countries to 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 leverage deals. I want to also talk about really quickly, Jamal, the fact that when the Saudi sovereign fund gave the Kushner's one point gave Jared Kushner one point five billion, this was. Because MBS decided. But the Saudi sovereign fund uh, advisors all told the crown prince, this guy's basically an idiot, a- ignorant. And why are we giving him $1.5 billion? It's not, uh, does not make financial sense. But MBS decided to go through with this anyways. Uh, Kushner benefited, as I said, in totality, close to $4 billion. Why? Why aren't we investigating this in more detail? Whatever Hunter Biden did, Jamal, whatever, we'll look at it, right? But this is a much bigger story because Hunter Biden wasn't paid by U.S. taxpayers. Jared Kushner was. Okay, just want to clarify, you're talking about this, uh, there is a Saudi,
1: but this is actually the money he got was from the Qat- Qatari. Uh, no,
0: but I'm investor. talking about all the money he got. Money from multiple sources, Jamal, not just the Qataris. He started with the Saudis, and then yes. he moved on to Qatar. And he got money from UAE also, Jamal. There's a lot of money that came his way from the Gulf. And, you know, you you commented on this earlier, and I think it's important to to say this, you know part of kushner's thing was the abraham accords which is a disaster you know means nothing well and, that's what and, i
1: said this is this is the smoke and mirrors exactly they were trying to get everybody all distracted with when he was like uh,
0: fattening his pockets basically with billions of dollars exactly and uh you know the most of the countries the the big countries involved with the uh, abraham accords um you know they, two of them at least were deeply involved in giving him money it's it's a big story we're hearing about it two years late uh kushner has been surprise surprise quiet since all of this stuff has come out um you know basically i i put uh kushner in the same in the same boat with uh you know, cryptocurrency people who, uh, undermine the, the history of, uh, you know, cryptocurrency right now. I mean, why are these guys not in prison? What I mean, they. Well, why the are they not guy,
1: The cryptocurrency guy, he's in the Bahamas. I don't think the Bahamas has an extradition treaty with the United States. No, but you know he should go. and Yeah, and, he should hide. be in prison. He but, should be. But Jared he should. Kushner, he should was be the in senior prison. advisor for the president of the, uh, uh, you know, of the United States. Uh, Jess. is right here in, you know, New York between New York, Florida, and what have you. And now the story is is out with a lot of details. I mean, we we don't have the time to go through all the details and the investigation that has been put. And also, what we didn't mention is what is the relation? What is the relation of this story to the murder or to the putting the lid over the murder of Jamal Khashoggi? Because well, uh, because absolutely, this and, absolutely. And, and, and this this is how much like you know, I mean, this is uh, MBS was basically. It, Named in, 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 in the murder of Khashoggi. And, uh, and, you know, and just to remind our listeners, uh, uh, he, according to uh, the T- uh, Turkish intelligence and U.S. intelligence agency, said that he had approved a plan to kidnap and kill Jamal Khashoggi. And he benefited from the unwavering support of Kushner and the influence on, uh, on Donald Trump in the White House that basically now no one is talking about it
0: well that's exactly right Jamal just like we spoke about last in on our last show no one's talking about the fact that uh, you know when 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 trump was in office of course all the pro israel forces were you know uh, sitting at trump's lap uh, enjoying his largesse and his feeling and fealty for for the apartheid state now that he's you know, celebrating uh, anti-Semites and white supremacists, they're having second thoughts. Maybe they're having second thoughts about Jared Kushner, too. Who knows? But, I mean, I've had this feeling a long time. I think Jared Kushner should be indicted, you know, and why Why? Why wouldn't he be indicted? And why shouldn't he be held accountable just like everybody else? If he was not part of the Kushner family and he had done the, and someone else had done the same things, they'd be in jail. Absolutely.
1: Uh I just say follow the money this is definitely a story to follow the money if you've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM go to our website Arab Talk Radio to download the latest shows and we'll speak to you next
0: week we'll see you next week